morning, everyone. It's great to see you guys this morning. Um, yeah, we're continuing this series, The Way, and we're, so if, if you're um, visiting us for we're doing this series going through the Sermon on the Mount and just breaking it up into sections, and we're kind of actually, we're going to keep doing it for another couple of weeks before we do something else, but we're actually kind of at the end of the section at the moment. This is the end of chapter 5, and kind of where we started back, Jesus talking about the kingdom, we started talking about the Beatitudes and then blessed and then Jesus' values and the values of Jesus' kingdom are very different to the values of our world. Um, but then Jesus started to talk about his view of the Bible and scripture. And Jesus said in this, um, that because that, he came and he started teaching it. He was a rabbi, he was teaching things that seemed really radical and people started to think, who is this guy? Like, does he even value the old law and, and the... the, the um, the story of Israel, or is he just sort of going off on his own? Thing? Like he was confusing people. So Jesus affirmed. He said, "Like the word, the scripture is is scripture. Like this is God's word." But then Jesus gave a depth of meaning. He said that this word, this story, is actually about me. Is what he said. It's actually all pointing to me, and that actually it's to be lived out from the heart. And then he said this this crazy thing that is is has been hard to understand and. and kind of intimidating even to people, and it would have been intimidating to what people when he said it to them there. He said to them, unless your righteousness or your goodness is beyond the scribes and the Pharisees. These were like the guys who kept all the rules. They were the religious leaders. They worked really hard. They studied really hard. And Jesus says, unless your righteousness goes beyond this, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's this crazy statement. Like, are we meant to work even harder? And then Jesus goes through and gives six examples. And he says, you've heard that it was said of old, this is what the law said, or this is what the teachers of the law said. But I say to you, and what Jesus does every time, he says, this is what it was, this was like the rule. And then he gives the depth of understanding, gets to the heart. He says, actually, it's about the heart. You said, don't murder. Actually, don't get angry. It's about our heart and not having hatred or anger towards others. You said, don't commit adultery. Actually, it's about the heart and not even, even lusting or, or the thinking in that way. And then he goes through, and this has actually come now to the last of the six. And it's almost like it gets progressively um, harder in some ways. And the, the idea is that we're actually growing, actually dealing with anger. We're dealing with lust. We're dealing with our words. We're dealing with our speech. And he gets to this. And some people have even called what the verses we're looking at this week like the high point of the whole sermon, almost. And when Jesus is giving this, this amazing description that actually just reflects who God is. And when he said these words, it would have been so countercultural and so challenging to his hearers. And this is the last one. This is the sixth of them. He says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But then he says, But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So we're just going to go through, we're going to teach through these verses, um, and then give some kind of application, how, what does Jesus actually mean, how does this work, and then kind of sum up this section of six, and really what, what is this righteousness beyond the scribes and the Pharisees, what does Jesus mean, what is, what is his point, where does it actually land in the end. So I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to go through this one bit at a time. So, Lord, we just thank you that, that you are present here, and these are your words, um, that you spoke 
on a mountain 2,000 years ago that were recorded, that were handed down, that have been translated, that we get to read. Um, thank you for your words that bring life. Um, and you, we just ask, God, that you'd open our hearts and our ears to hear, hear your word um, that, that can challenge us. Um, and we just ask, God, that it would just bring life and freedom um, and joy and that you just reveal yourself to us this morning. We just pray that in your name. Amen. So, again, Jesus takes an old, and then he says, actually, what's the heart behind it? But this one is interesting, because he says, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And the Bible does not say, hate your enemy, right? That's actually not in the law. Love your neighbor is, in Leviticus. It's actually the teaching, sometimes people think, sometimes Jesus made up love your neighbor. It's actually in Leviticus, it's actually in, in the Old Testament. Hate your enemy is not. There's actually verses about loving your enemy, even in the Old Testament, about feeding them. Um, but it's also, potentially what happened is it's pretty easy to imply or to assume from the Old Testament that there's God's people, and the people who are not God's people are God's enemies. And the thing you do with your enemy is you hate them, and you're against them. And then this, this sort of command to love your neighbor by default kind of becomes... Hate your enemy. Those who oppose you, those who oppose to God, we oppose and, and hate. And this again may have sort of come down. Now we're in first century Israel. The Jews and Israelites are there under the Roman occupation, and there's probably a lot of hatred towards the Romans, to those who are oppressing them, to those who um, yeah don't worship their gods. Um, so this is, this is probably like a pretty common thing. Like everyone's like, yeah, of course. Like, hate your enemy. Like, that makes sense. And again, in our world today, like love your neighbor, love those of your own country, those of your own family, those who are like you. And of course, those who do evil, those who are against you, we, we hate, we're opposed to them. That makes sense. But Jesus' teaching is so radical that he says, no, love your enemies. And again, he doesn't say that they're not enemies. He, he says they're enemies. Jesus assumes that people have enemies. Um, particularly, this is about um, enemies of the faith, so enemies of God, those who would oppose us or those who would oppose him and his followers for following him. Um, so they're definitely enemies. And Jesus is definitely not saying at all not to hate evil. Or definitely not saying that people who do evil, are, that it's not evil, it is. But he says the way that we are to treat them is with love, which is radical. This is the love, this is agape love, this is love that wills the good of another. It's, it's wanting good for this person, wanting blessing, wanting them to grow into who they've been made to be, wanting freedom and life and goodness. But then, Jesus, it's interesting, this, this paragraph of this command, Jesus gives a fair few <coughs> motivations to follow it. Um, and challenges to follow it, and then he kind of sums it up to finish. And the first motivation is just what it says right there, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. This is this idea, um, even in the, in the Beatitudes we've read this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons or children of God. And again, in this culture, to be a child or to be a son is to reflect your Father. And what he's saying is that actually this is what God is like. God is someone who loves unconditionally, generously, even <coughs> his enemies. 
God, God is a God of love who loves not just Israel, right? but all the other nations. And God's plan was always to use Israel to bless the world and to bless all the other nations. And Jesus is, is challenging this idea. And, and he's saying, actually, if you follow this, the motivation is actually reflecting God. You're actually living out the family values of the kingdom of God, is what he's saying. And then he gives this example. He says, God, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus basically looks, looks around just at the day-to-day -day weather. And he doesn't see it like scientifically, first and foremost. Or he doesn't see it just as God's creation. But he looks at it and sees this is God's love. God, God generously brings the sun each day. God brings the rain. God provides food. And it's not like there's this house that goes to church and they get the rain and this house doesn't. Or this nation that follows God and they're blessed and this nation that doesn't and they don't have very good weather ever. Like, it just doesn't work like that, right? Like, God generously sends sun to evil people and rain to evil people and to good people. His, his every day is pouring out love unconditionally, generously, all the time. That this is actually what God is like. Then Jesus gives these challenging rhetorical questions. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even the tax collectors doing that. And again, we hear that and we're kind of like, oh, tax collectors, like, that doesn't mean much. But tax collectors like the traders of Israel. Like they're, they're using... They're benefiting from the Roman occupation. They're making money out of it, and they're exploiting their own nation, right? Like, like tax collectors are hated. Tax collectors are their enemy. But Jesus says, like, they love their family. Like, they love their kids. Like, they, they care for their friends. And he says, if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? And again, he's, like, hinting at the Romans. These Roman um, occupiers, oppressors, they greet their family, they greet their friends, they're kind to the other Romans. Like, like, that's a really natural thing to do. Like, it's natural to love your family, it's natural to love people like you, it's natural to talk to and greet people who you get along with. Um, that's just normal. And Jesus is saying, like, that's not special. Like, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Nothing. Like, and not even the tax collectors doing that, well, yeah. If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Well, it's nothing special. Do not pagans do that? Well, yeah, and then Jesus says, Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. And again, this verse has caused some troubles sometimes <coughs> for people. Even say, well, look, okay, there it is. Jesus is saying we have to be perfect. We can't be perfect. There's no, we can, just can't do what Jesus says. Like, Jesus is not saying that we have to follow or... or or seek to live out what he's saying because it's impossible. But that's, that's not what he's saying. Our, our understanding of perfect can kind of um, put us off a bit here. This, this, word, this Greek word that's used for perfect here is, is not so much this idea we have of like moral perfection or someone who's like kept all the rules, they've never made a mistake, they're just like the perfect person, like this pristine person. That's not really the idea here. The idea, the, the Greek idea of, of perfect is perfect in function, in purpose. This is what one um, commentator says, a thing is perfect if it fully realized the purpose for which it was planned and designed and made. 
He's saying, fully live out your design, what you've made, been made to do. What are humans made to do? What is the purpose and the design of humans? If we go back to Genesis, God creates the world, He creates the animals, and then He says, let us make mankind humans in our image, male and female. God makes a creature whose purpose is to reflect Him, is to demonstrate Him, is to relate to Him, and to be like Him. That's actually the purpose. And Jesus is saying, live into that purpose. To live and reflect God fully. That that's the goal. That's the, the place to, to, to move towards. And, and what is God like? Like if we're to reflect God, if we're to, to be another way in the Old Testament particularly, it says, be holy as I'm holy. Again, this is to be, be like Him. The, the parallel to these verses in Matthew is in Luke. And Luke doesn't say be perfect. Luke says be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. What is God like? He's merciful. He's love. He's, he's generous. He gives. That is who God is. Yes, yes, God is just and hates evil, but He is merciful and gracious. And Jesus is saying, actually, be like Him. Everybody else just loves people like them. God loves his enemies even. Be like him. This is from um, Barclay. He says this, The one thing that makes us like God is the love which never ceases to care for men or people, no matter what they do. We realize our manhood when we enter Christian... We enter Christian perfection when we learn to forgive as God forgives and to love as God loves. Not primarily this, this sort of moral purity that, that's good, but this like generous love for others. That, that that's the character of God. So we're saying this week, the way of Jesus is the way of unconditional, generous love for all, even enemies. It's like Jesus' teaching has built to this like high point that's like incredibly challenging, but also incredibly beautiful. And gets right down to the heart of who God is. And that we're in this kingdom. And the, and the goal, again, is not just trying hard to keep rules, but to live out the reality of our purpose. That we're actually made to live with Him in His kingdom. We're actually made to reflect Him and be like Him. <coughs> and that looks like generous, unconditional love for all, even enemies. And again, that's, that's challenging. Right? That's hard. But the interesting thing is, this, this can easily be just like an ideal, like, like just an idea that just sounds really good, but what do I actually do? Like that just sounds impossible. Again, Jesus' teaching is like so practical and down to earth, because even within it, you might have noticed, Jesus gives like very practical, everyday, mundane ways to live this out. I'm going to give you two of them that he gives, two little steps and then we're just going to talk about a strategy, actually. Like, what's the way to approach this as a strategy? This is the first one. Jesus says a simple first little step to practice this is just to pray. <coughs> he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He says, just start there. When someone's against you, like last week we talked about retaliation. And when someone comes against us with evil... The way Jesus is to respond 
with good, to not retaliate, but to bless. That's like, that's like a one-off when that happens. This is an enemy, right? This is not like a one-off thing. This is like entrenched evil against us, like someone who despises us, someone who wouldn't care if we died, or someone who, who, who's against us. And again, Jesus' teaching is not primarily to individuals, but to a community. So even for us as a church, like, like, like we have enemies, right? Like there's an ultimate enemy. There's plenty of people right now, particularly who are enemies of the church, who, who would be happy if we were gone and didn't, didn't have anything, who just didn't, had no place in society anymore. So as a whole, our enemies, and maybe as, as a simple, in, in, in your own life, your own enemies, the, step, the place to start is to pray. Talk to God about them. And I think, especially if we read the Psalms, that involves even bringing the anger at evil and the anger and the hatred that may be there in our own hearts to God. And actually, not repressing that or suppressing that, but expressing it to God but in a way that we feel anger at evil, but still love people like God does. That God does not condone evil, and, and people who are against us, or maybe against you, and doing evil things, God hates that, but he still loves them. They're still his image bearers. And the little step for us is to talk to him about it, to pray, and then to even pray blessing on them. Asking God's blessing, God's peace, that they would know Him, that they would know life. The other little step that you might have noticed that comes through again, very mundane, is just simply who we greet. Every day when we greet people, we kind of can greet them in different ways, right? Some, there's some people that we greet very, um, like we're very excited to see them, very family, friends. We're generous in our greeting. There's other people that we don't greet. There's other people we kind of greet negatively, like deliberately ignore. And, and Jesus is saying, it's normal just to greet people who are like you. Like, it's normal just to greet your friends. By implication, a place to start is actually to greet people who are not like you. Greet people who are outside of, of your sort of group. And maybe even greet your enemies. Maybe say hello. Maybe bless. And again, this is when it's appropriate. Like if there's a situation where there's abuse... There's a situation that is not appropriate to have contact. Prayer is good. There's situations where maybe actually just saying hello is the mundane, day-to-day -day way to live this out. It's like so down-to-earth. Like it's not this like high ethereal teaching, but just a down-to-earth pray, greet, say hello to people who are not like us. And then a strategy. Again, we've been talking as we've gone through these that the, the strategy is not to try really hard to do what Jesus says. It, it doesn't work. <laughs> That's the law. Right? There's law, we try hard to do it, it doesn't, doesn't work. Because the problem is not trying hard, the problem is our heart and who we are. And the strategy, even, even there's these famous verses right, that, get, that get read out of wedding slots by Paul in 1 Corinthians about love. Um, love is patient, love is kind, all these good things about love. And often the way we read them the same way we read the Sermon on the Mount is we should really try to do that. We should try to be patient. We should be, try to be kind. We should try to be generous. We should try to love our enemies. But that's not the point. That's not the strategy. The strategy in 1 Corinthians, the point of it is actually love does those things. If you have love, you're patient. 
you're kind, you forgive. And Jesus' point is, if you have the heart of the kingdom, if you have the spirit, and you're growing in this relationship with God, you love your enemies. It happens to so the strategy is to pursue love. This is what Paul says around the end of 1 Corinthians 13. He's listed all these things about love and what love does, and then he says, pursue love. And the same in this, in this sermon that Jesus is giving, the goal is to pursue God and this relationship with God that shapes us to be people who then love. It's not, it's not trying hard to do it, but living in this relationship with God so that we become the kind of people who love. It's interesting, right? Jesus lived this out because that's who he is. Like when Jesus is on the cross and being crucified, and he says, Father, forgive them, he was just being himself. Like he wasn't trying hard to do that. That's just who he is. That's just his nature. Like, it came out of his heart because that's who he is. And the call on our lives is to grow and be shaped and be formed to be people who are like him. And therefore we do what he did. We don't try, we don't start with the doing, we start with the being. This is how one commentator explains this. He said, He, Jesus calls us to him to impart himself to us. He does not call us to do what he did. Now, just hang on if that's freaking you out for a second, because it, it'll make sense. He doesn't call us to do what he did, but to be who he was, permeated with love. Jesus was permeated with God's love, with the Father's love. That's why he did the things he did. This says, then doing what he did and said becomes the natural expression of who we are in him. I'm just going to read that out again. He calls us to impart himself to us. He does not call us to do what he did, but he calls us to be who he was, permeated with love. Then the doing what he did and said becomes the natural expression of who we are in him. It's actually about growing and being formed at the heart level to be like him. And then we're the kind of people who bless and love even our enemies. This is reflected in, in 1 John. It starts with God's love, receiving God's love, growing in it, and then expressing it to others. 1 John 4.10. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God is the demonstration of love. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. It's God's love in our hearts that shapes us to be the kind of people that then can love others. And this is what Jesus' point is, right? Like he's been summarizing these six things, which have taken an old law, which is primarily about behavior, and he gets right to the heart, and Jesus' point is, what is the righteousness and the goodness beyond the scribes and the Pharisees? Why, why don't we follow the law, but now we live by the Spirit? Because the point is love. The point is to have a heart of love for God and love for others. And that is the full summary of what God desires. That is the full purpose of why we've been made. That, Paul says this in Romans, that if you love, you fulfill the law. That, that, that's it. And, and Jesus is saying it's not about this external rules. It's about a heart that loves. And that's only possible 
when we have God's love, when we're being shaped and loved by Him. You say the way of Jesus is the way of unconditional, generous love for all, even enemies. Only possible with Him by His Spirit as we're formed to be like Him. So as, as we think about this today, we're going to take communion and, and respond in a minute. But just, just this week, maybe, as you, as you think, who are your enemies? Who are the people who are against you? And maybe even as a church, who are our enemies? Like, like the people that actually oppose us, that oppose our faith. And how do we actually be like God and be God's children and love them? And seek their good and want blessing for them. And actually, again, like we said last week, overcome evil with good. Because this is what God has done for us. Right? We were God's enemies. Like, like we were opposed to Him. And He's loved us. This, these are great <coughs> verses in Romans 5. These, these, these verses were like one of the first times I really got. God's grace and God's love with these verses. And this is, these are great verses. You see, at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since now we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? And it says this, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We were God's enemies. And God sent his son to die in our place. That's love. That's the definition of love, is God, and how God acts towards us. That's who God is. He's this perfect God of, of generous, compassionate, gracious love, who is just and hates evil, but has found a way to rid us of evil by taking it on himself so we can know his love. That's how he treats us, his enemies. That's who Jesus is. He prays for those who crucify him. And he calls us to follow him and live in this way as well. This is actually the way of Jesus, the way of life. I love this quote. Bruno says, God, the cross teaches us supremely, is the greatest enemy lover of all time. God's love is so big. It's, it's like beyond our definition of love. It's, but, but that is what love is. Our definition of love is not what love is. Our culture's definition of love is not what love is. The cross God himself defines love. The only way we can know what it is is by looking at him and looking at what he's done. So we're going we're gonna to respond this morning by taking communion and, and just coming back to this place where we were enemies and he has loved us and asking for his grace to shape us and form us to be people who receive his love and give it away even to enemies that we can have generous, unconditional love for all. So I'm going to pray. Um, if we can have some, some helpers come up and, and pass out communion, that'd be great. And then we'll take up the offering after that and then we'll sing to finish off. Father, we just 
say, you are, you are so good. Lord, you are beyond what we could ever imagine that you would be, that you are the God of perfect love, of perfect justice, of grace, and that we, your enemies who, who have done evil ourselves, God, you would enter our world, you would live as a person, and you would die, you would pray for those who are crucifying you, you continually pour out your love and your grace and your cause to receive it, to live in it, and to give it away. And we just ask, God, would, would, just, would you come even now and give us an understanding, a revelation of who you are and your grace? As we just take the, the juice and the biscuit and remember your body, Jesus, that you gave for us, Lord, would your life, would your love, would your spirit just fill us and transform us? Would we be a community that's known for its love, not just for each other, but for those who hate us? That we would just love all generously, generously, unconditionally, that we reflect you in this world, in this community world. So I just pray that you'd meet us now in your name. We pray. Amen.